You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. The polka is not exactly Motley Crue's brand, but I did see Weird Al at one point on Much Music guest hosting, guest hosting play Motley Crue on his accordion, this song, in fact, Dr. Feelgood, and do the polka to it. That's what Weird Al does, Karen. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, I'm a big 80s music rock fan. Never got in the Motley Crue, though. A little oh, too uh, I'm disappointed to hear that for you. They're great. No, I just I mean, I know girls, girls, girls. I know that song, obviously, and I know who is Motley Crue's drummer that was married to Carmen Electro? Is that how the connection goes? Or Tommy Lee was married no, to is Tommy, that Tommy Lee? Lee? He has Anderson. a connection to Carmen Electra, but he's he has a connection to Carmen Electra as well, I believe. <laughs> Tommy Lee has a connection to many <laughs> Prominent women in the celebrity community. Let's leave it at that. Fair enough. He has Fair a connection enough. to many. But he was married to Pamela Anderson. I can confirm that. Motley, check out Wild Side. They've got great hits. Great hits. You gotta love yeah, it. I just was never part Kick of the... Kickstart my heart. Part of, I mean, I'm more of a... If you're going to talk about the kind of music from the 80s that I enjoy, like, the you know, Bon Jovi and Whitesnake and that kind of music. So I think you could probably guess why Motley Crue wasn't in my uh, wheelhouse, but maybe. maybe. Mm, they still fit in the hair band. They're maybe a little too more hair metal for you than the That's ones you is, just yes. mentioned. But I, I like my monster ballads. Well, you can you can obviously guess which White Snake song I like. So it's I enjoy my monster ballads a little bit more, you know, lovey dovey eighties songs when it comes to my rock bands. But you know what? Maybe I'll change it this weekend. Saturday's coming around. Put on a little mo- crew and see it where it ha- see where it takes us. We can talk about it next week. We can talk about it next week. Alex Edler was born in the eighties, and he is going to test free agency according ah. to his agent. This can't be seen as surprising, in my view. Different view on the Canucks roster from where he used to exist. And, hey, let's see what's out there. Just saw a report saying, hey, this isn't some big blow up over money. It's about a player that wants to see what the other situation might be. And, look, that might mean simply talking to Seattle this weekend. For those who don't know, once the protection lists get in, if you are a UFA to be, you can have a conversation with Seattle. And as you have correctly pointed out over the course of this week, there are probably other conversations you're not able to have that you end up kind of having anyway through agents or cloaked conversations that technically are tampering. But, boy, we would never suggest that would exist in this league, would we? <laughs> no, that wasn't exactly a question that we asked uh, Kurt Overhart when he had him on earlier. So what kind of conversations are you going to have over the next week that don't involve Seattle? Scott, it's going to – there's come whenever the freeze What's that? Thursday is when the freeze is undone for when you can talk to players. Thursday, you're going to hear deals come out immediately. We hear it with free agents all the time on free agency. Why are deals available to be go the the first hour, minute after free agency opens? Because it happens. Well, just to be clear, that isn't quite when the... So that's when the trade freeze lifts next Thursday. When's the free agent? Free agency doesn't doesn't hit until the following week. So they still can't talk to free agents until technically the 28th? (laughs) <laughs> I'd have to check what the dates are this year because there's the there's the legal tampering period, the courting period, whatever you want to call it. But that won't happen until after the draft, I believe, if there, in fact, is one this year. Remember last year because okay. of the truncated offseason or the way things were happening in very short order, there wasn't actually a legal tampering period. But the stuff gets done anyway. I don't know what the dates are this year. I don't know if there are dates this year. Bottom line is things are going to happen really quickly here. And whether yes. it's Alex Edler or somebody else, you're right. 
these players will have an idea where they sit. And Alex Edler doesn't strike you as a day one free agency signing as as to where he is at. He's 35 years old. He's not a top-pairing defenseman anymore. He played more minutes last year than, than he certainly would on a good team. I don't know how much of this is about role. I don't know how much of this is about cup-contending team. Only Alex Adler, Edler has the answers to those questions. You know, the last time we had him on this program, he said flat out, I want to stay in Vancouver. That's what I'm thinking about. That's what he's wanted to do his entire career. I imagine Alex mm-hmm. Edler would like to be back in Vancouver, but given what the conversation has been like to this point in time as to what the role might be, what the money might be, he's willing to at least listen to other offers. Yeah, I mean, he's not like Dougie Hamilton and when you talk about most coveted UFAs that are likely to go, well, or you could think could go early on unless something happens with Seattle and him. Hey, look, he's 35 years old and only has a certain amount of time left in his NHL career. Yeah, he's wanted to stay in Vancouver. Does he still want to stay? There's probably a solid possibility. Does he want to see what other markets are out there and maybe use it as a negotiating tactic when he comes back to Vancouver and say, hey, this is what the open market's giving me. Can we reach some sort of a deal with that, uh, with Vancouver also too? Would anybody be surprised if he wants to do a third-pairing defenseman for a little bit cheaper value and try and chase a cup? No. He's 35 years old. He's been to the Stanley Cup Finals once, and in the last couple of years, Alex Edler has logged a lot of minutes for the Vancouver Canucks, and there hasn't been a lot of team success. So would I be surprised to see him go? No. Would I be surprised to see him stay? No. I mean, I think anything's up in the air, and probably I'd lean towards him staying, but no one would be surprised if he goes and says, let me go chase a cup. I'm not surprised to see this text come in either. What would, oh, man. What would it be like? What are the chances he signs with the Calgary Flames? Would anybody be surprised by that after last off season? I think Flames fans would probably be surprised. I understand the point there, and there was an LOL after it. Where does Alex Edler want to live? How much is it about chasing a cop? How much is it about where he resides? I don't know. He has the answer to that. I do think it's an opportunity to talk to Seattle, which is not far from where his home has been his forever in Vancouver. His family, pretty easy commute if they're going to make the trip. Commute is the wrong word. Move if you're you're going to go that direction. Or you're right, if his family remains based in Vancouver, he's really close in the Pacific Northwest of the United States and would make it easy for him, a city that bears a lot of resemblance to Vancouver in both climate and surrounding attractions for those who have been there. Just like to point out, because it was a conversation that we just had off the start, it was Carmen Electra and Dave Navarro. Thank you, Jeff Mission, for correcting my 90s pop culture. I appreciate that. Let's move on to what else is happening <laughs> on the free yeah, agent market on. or potential free agent market or protection list. There's all of these different things. We said it off the top of the show. A lot is happening this week. We were expecting and still are expecting something to happen during the course of our show today because we're getting down to the deadline. Look, we're less than 25 hours away from those protection lists being submitted. So can Vancouver get a deal done? Does Calgary want to make a side deal to protect Mark Giordano? One of the names that's come up in recent days is Braden Holtby. I want to play this clip for you because it's relevant to the Vancouver Canucks moving forward and potentially to what you might need to do with Seattle here. Seattle has expressed some sort of interest in Braden Holtby. And the reports out there Mm -hmm. are... Ron Francis had a conversation with Jim Benning saying, yep, we like Holtby. You're going to have to keep some money. Braden Holtby is one of those players who's worth more in real money this year than he is in cap hit. So Braden Holtby this year is going to make over $5 bucks in real money, but his cap hit is just over $4 million. 
So what does that look like for Seattle? He's $4.3 million cap hit, but you're going to have to pay him real money. That shouldn't be a problem for I think we just lost Scotty there. We'll get Scotty to reconnect. Uh, hey, Greg, why don't we play that uh, Thomas Durant's clip right now from Braden Holpe? Holpe still has cachet around the league. Uh, there have been multiple teams interested. Uh, you know, Daniel and I sort of were, were thinking about an Eastern Conference team, the Western Conference team. Those were sort of the rumblings we heard. And, and when checking on it with multiple sources, we're, we're sort of told, actually, there's more interest than that. Um, there's also interest from the Seattle Kraken expansion outfit. Um, you know, our understanding, what we're hearing is that the Kraken have asked if the Canucks might be willing to retain, uh, to facilitate a, a Holtby selection. Um, you know, and there, and there's a variety of different angles to unpack in that. Could the Kraken be interested in getting Holtby in a retained salary transaction and maybe retaining more and flipping him again, uh, for, for picks? Like, is that the best way for them to mine value from a Canucks? sort of protected list or, or exposed list that, you know, doesn't necessarily offer them up a lot. Um, you know, maybe, uh, could they be looking to leverage the Canucks into paying a pick, uh, to move the full freight of Holtby's deal? Uh, who knows? I mean, the ex- expansion is such a difficult sort of thing to figure out, uh, the crack and do have a ton of leverage. That was Thomas Drance earlier on 6.50, the morning show with Halford and Bruff. Uh, Scott's just got a little bit of a internet connection. So, oh, I think we have him back. So we'll try and get it going. Scotty, are you there? I am. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Karen. We just heard from taking over there. Is... <laughs> I, think... I think we're going to try and reconnect with you again, Scotty. Still a little bit of issue there. Jamie's on the line, yeah. though, as well, so we can talk about this. Um, okay, Thomas Drance on 6.50, the morning show earlier, talking about Braden Holtby possibly being a Seattle uh, Seattle interested in a Braden Holtby. I look at this situation, Jamie, and I look at it as, what's the cost of having Seattle take him? Obviously, you'd like $4.3 million off your books, and if you're owner, you're going to want real money off your books as well. So I do think it comes with... Uh, a cost, but if you think that you can maybe get rid of a Braden Holtby contract and, you know, you've got three, I don't know, three million, four million dollars to work with, I think that's something obviously Jim Benning would be interested in. Well, I was just surprised just before we get Scotty back on the line here. I was just surprised to hear from Drance and, and hear some of the scuttlebutt around the league right now that there are multiple teams interested in the services of Braden Holby. And that's nothing against Braden Holby, but I mean, it was already a little bit of a risk when the Canucks signed him last year, coming off the year he had in his final season in Washington. And now he had another down year with Vancouver. So, I mean, frankly, it's uh, look, it always depends on the cost. What kind of asset would, would Benning have to give up to get Seattle to take him off the books? But. If you're able to unload Braden Holtby, you know, for anything close and you, and all you have to retain is a little bit of his his salary, mm-hmm. that is an incredible opportunity. One that I did not expect was going to be available to the Canucks this offseason. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people did think that would be a possibility. I only ask what the question is going to be is what would it cost to get Braden Holtby off your books? And, I, you know, obviously if it's with a different team, it could be salary retention. If it's with Seattle, it could be salary retention. But you're not going to want to give – Jim Benning always talks about the fact, Jamie, that 
draft picks are like gold for him, and he always wants more, and he doesn't really want to give them away. I mean, if it's a second round for Seattle to take him, is that too rich for uh, Canucks fans? Is that too rich for us to stomach, people to stomach? I don't know what it is, but... When they signed Braden Holtby, the one big thing was, yeah, it's a little bit more of a AAV than maybe some people would have liked, but they didn't give him any tr- movement clause. And this was me. this was the situation. As well, we hear Scotty and look, to when I hear a second-round pick, <laughs> when I hear a second-round pick, to me, that's too steep a price. to, right. to Because it's only one more year of Braden Holtby on your books, right? And I know the Canucks front office probably doesn't see it this way, but to me, there's no real great pressure for to dramatically – improve this Canucks team for this upcoming season, right? Because you do have so much future cap flexibility setting yourself up for after this year, right? When Erickson and mm-hmm. Holpe and yeah. the longer recapture penalty are all gone, right? So I, if I'm in charge of the Canucks, I'm looking at this offseason saying, look, we bite the bullet for next year. We've got a lot of bad money still in the books. But after that, we gain so much flexibility. We don't need to rush and give up assets just to get a contract like Braden Holpe. who only has one more year left off of our books. We can afford to be a little bit more patient. I'm not sure that's how the Canucks front office looks at things, though. Hey, getting rid of that 4.3 would be awesome for the Vancouver Canucks. You're going to have to bring in a goaltender as a backup to Thatcher Demko, but you bring someone in on like a one, you know, a really cheap deal that you could get a uh, backup goaltender, and you've still got about, what, three and a half, maybe three to work with uh, for to reassess other issues on your roster. I understand that, but I don't think that Brayden Holtby is going to be given away for free. It's going to have to have something to come with it. So one question does come to our inbox. It does say, if Seattle doesn't take Holtby, who else are they going to take? I don't see one player on our list that I would want personally. I do know, and it's been reported out there, that if a Cole Lind was left unprotected, that'd be somebody that Seattle would go with second round draft pick. He's on a linear projection in terms of where his where he started, you know, in the AHL and where he is now. Are the Canucks going to leave him unprotected? I'd say probably not. You want to keep that asset. You put some years developing him. Why would you want to let him go, Jamie? But I don't know where this goes. I mean, if they want to protect to Matthew Highmore that leaves Cole Lind open that could be something that Seattle would take I tend to believe that they are going to protect Cole Lind I don't know what you think on this situation well the reporting from Thomas Drance and Rick Dollywell this morning I believe was the Canucks have basically decided if you know first of all they're looking to bring in a forward to kind of fill that last protection spot right there that's what they're out there searching trying to do right now but again from Drance and Dollywell the reporting is if they aren't able to do that that they're going to use that last protection spot on Cole Lind, leave Matthew Highmore unprotected and risk mm-hmm. Seattle taking him or somebody else. Scotty, do we have you back? Yeah, you do. And here's the part <laughs> yeah. that I think some people miss with this and why it's interesting to me that there are multiple teams interested in Braden Holpe. You've got leverage in your staring contest right now. If Seattle's interested in Braden Holpe but is trying to get salary cap retention, salary, actual salary retention done here, if you're Jim Benning, you suddenly got a little bit of leverage saying, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because we now know there is a market out there for this player. And mm-hmm. we can wait until after this expansion draft is done. And now it's up to you. Do you want him or don't you? Do you want this goaltender or not? Or maybe you're able to whittle down the amount of money that you have to retain. That's market that has suddenly been established actually matters, in my opinion. There's going to be very conscious games right now. You want marginal or don't you? The first and third round pick, we already have something to talk about here. I think you're just going to take our player. So be it. 
Same sort of deal with Brayden Holby. If he asks anything around like 50% cap hit, 50% salary retention, Lamelo is sitting here jumping. He's saying, "Thanks, but no thanks." Hey, Greg, I think we're going to get Scott. We're going to take a break shortly here, and we'll get him to reconnect, figure out what's going on in the situation. Jamie, it's I see where Scott's going with this, and I understand what he's saying. It's, look, like if we know there's a market out there for him, there's a market, and we don't have to give you anything. So if you really want a Brayden Holtby, you're going to have to take him because we have leverage on this, and I completely understand what he's saying. And I, I think, too, it's like that's kind of like, Mark Giordano, what he was talking about with Calgary, it's like, okay, like he's a 38-year-old defenseman. How much do you want him? How much do we want? Like, There's always this fine line about how you value your asset and what you think also you can get out there on the other market. Yeah, and again, it's to me, it's just, I did not expect the Canucks to be in this fashion as it comes to Brandon Holpe, right? Like, this is a major surprise to me. I thought... You know, at most, they at best, they would have to attach a pretty significant asset to get the salary somewhere else. But if there are teams legitimately interested who, you know, as you heard in that clip from Thomas Drance, right, he still has that cachet as Braden Holpe, a, a tremendous person in the locker room, a cup winner, a Vesna winner. He still has a lot of cachet. His reputation still matters around mm-hmm. the league. And it sounds like the Canucks might be able to take advantage of that. So what we do know is nothing's come down today. Uh, we've been waiting for it. We've got about an hour and a half left in our show, of course. It's 3 o'clock Eastern tomorrow. That's when the expansion lists have to be in. The trade freeze happens. The roster freeze happens. All those things happen tomorrow. So we've been waiting. We saw the fact that Ryan Graves was off to New Jersey yesterday, Jamie, for an asset and a prospect, a draft pick and a prospect. We did think that more things would start to come down. And I posed this to, to Scotty earlier in the show. And I do wonder if teams are still trying to figure out if they can get the price down from Ron Francis. Yeah, the prices that we're hearing floated right now, it just doesn't make any sense, really. You know, unless you're in such a specific situation where you have that one player you just can't afford to lose. But, you know, we heard, we've we seen it in relation to Jake Allen in Montreal, right? Oh, the, mm-hmm. the, the price for us not to pick Jake Allen would be a first-round pick and a third-round pick. I mean, if I'm Mark Bergevin, it's like, okay, fill your boots, take Jake Allen then. Why on mm-hmm. earth would I pay that kind of price just to keep a guy, our backup goalie, on under contract? So, I mean, look, Seattle's obviously entitled to negotiate however they want if, if – if they think the best strategy is driving an incredibly hard bargain right off the top and coming in with these extremely high prices, that's fair. Look, Ron Francis is a very smart GM, but I mean, I hear that and I see that. And if I'm a, a, a competing team, I say, okay, fine, no way. Just take whoever who you're going to take then because mm-hmm. those prices just don't make a lot of sense. Quickly before we go to break, Vegas did 10 side deals in 2017. They got a first-round pick from the Islanders. They got a first-round pick for Columbus. That's the famous one because, of course, they took William Carlson because of who Columbus didn't want to let go of. Or Josh Anderson at the time. So William Carlson, who turned into a 40-plus goal scorer in that first year and a first-round pick. Uh, Islanders, the reason they did this is because they had some defensemen. They ended up going 4-4, and and they took five defensemen that they wanted to cover. And it also got them... it turned out good for Vegas. That first round pick turned into Mark Stone that uh, the Islanders uh, did get there. So there is the ability, but like we've heard all along, the fact that GMs are a little bit more savvy now. They're not willing to go the route that they did with Vegas. We're going to take a quick break on the other side. We had one guest already today that had an Achilles injury. We're going to talk to another one who had Achilles injury in the past. Kahari Jones, head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, is next on Rintoul and Sermon. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Yeah, I thought I might be getting those early weekend feels. Thought maybe I'd have the last couple hours of this show off. It's Rintoul and Sermon with you 
At least right now it is, Karen. We haven't had a hiccup like that from a technology standpoint prior to this this week. For those who don't know, I'm kind of in wildfire country right now. I'm up in BC's interior. And as you know, Karen, there are a lot of challenges right now with wildfires out there. I have no idea if that's what affected our connection. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on out there today. I hope that's not the case. Bottom line, I'm back for now. We powered through, Scott. We powered through. Jamie is always ready to jump on in relief. Uh, you know, when someone texted to the inbox on Wednesday, when I had a bird fly into my my uh, condo, and just to say, like, it's a bird. This doesn't happen all the time. And they said, so much drama, Karen, all the time from working from home. You should head back to the station. I would like to point out this time it was not me. It was you. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> this is true. This is true. This is on me, or at least it's on technology. It's all good, though. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, I do not have control of the internet. I, I'm not the person who sends out the signal. I don't have any way to fix it. I do what everybody else does. Unplug, fire up again. Let's hope it works. You got to adapt on the fly. You know who knows that? Kahari Jones, former CFL quarterback, now the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, and he joins us here today. Kahari, like the CFL quarterback, just like that. How are you today, Kahari? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well, and thanks for making time today. I love that story. Maybe we'll get into it a little bit later of your time playing a little pickup football game out in the uh, the lower mainland one day and some guy taking a bit of a pot shot oh, at you before yeah. you got going. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was fun. He uh, throw an interception like Kahari Jones or something. No, he thought I was better than Kahari Jones, and I was like, well, I am Kahari Jones. <laughs> and, then, and so he's like, yeah, he had a little egg on his face or something, but it was, it was, it was funny. It was funny. Or maybe you put a cross on there if you zipped the ball in there close enough. He didn't close his hands. Hey, Kahari, yeah. from the out, from the outside. Now we're going back two years, of course, because there was no CFL season. But from the outside, it looked like you'd been handed a bad hand and a real short stack when you took over in Montreal. Why were you, your staff, and your players able to make it work so well when you were actually playing games? Yeah, I think we just had a lot of belief in in the room, and and uh, once uh, you know, I was able to take over and and just instill some trust and, and confidence in these guys, and 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 make sure they had confidence in themselves going onto the field. Um, you know, the results uh, came, and it was it was it was really a lot of fun. You know, and we worked hard. We we uh, we. You know, we practiced and, and competed, and you saw that compete level when we got out to the games. And, and so there were there were a lot of, of games, and you know, that in the fourth quarter people might have counted us out in the past, and, and these guys never gave up. So I was I was really happy about that, and, and uh, hopefully, you know, even though it's two years later, but we still have a lot of those pieces, and, and I think we can build on that. You've been on good teams as a player. You've been on not-so-good teams as a player. And everybody says the same thing. Oh, we believe. But you know the difference between players that truly believe and those who are just saying it, and they're going out there, and they're going through the motions. So as a coach, what is your philosophy on how you get players to believe, how you sell them on it? Yeah. uh, I mean, the biggest thing that I want to do is just be – uh, truly authentic, just be myself, just let them know, you know, when I, when I mess up, when I, when I feel something, when I feel like we're not practicing right. The biggest thing that I, I knew as a, as a player uh, and, and as a coach is that these guys are smart. You know, they, they can see through uh, the BS. They know that, that when somebody is not, not, 
you know, being upfront with them. They know when uh, someone doesn't believe in them. And uh, uh, they knew from the, from the start. I, I told them I, I, I believed in these guys. I, I felt like we had something. And when I saw that, you know, click on their side of things when, and when they saw the results, then uh, there was no question that, that we, we had, uh, you know, 100% um, a buy-in in the, in the room. And that, and that was a special thing. Gahari, we've had so much uncertainty, obviously, since the pandemic hit. Then we had the cancellation of the season. And I, I know always the expectation, the hope was that we were going to have a season. And we do have one upcoming. But what has this past, I guess, 18 months kind of been like for you in dealing with a lot of this uncertainty, but still having to focus on the fact that, yeah, we hope to have a season coming up and keeping your mind on football and the players' minds on football? Yeah, Karen, it's, it's, it was crazy because, uh, you know, we were, we were hoping for a, a lot of 2020 that we would be able to, you know, figure it out and have a season. And so there was a lot of planning and then, and then a lot of erasing plans and, and replanning and getting ready for a shortened season or uh, playing in a bubble, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing six or eight games and, and then going right to the playoffs. And so, once that ended, I mean, it, it was it was almost, uh, you know, you almost fall into a funk a little bit because you know that you're not going to have uh, a season and, and the CFL wasn't going to play. But, uh, but then it was just about going toward 2021 and, and talking to the players and making sure that, you know, guys still wanted to play, uh, mm-hmm. uh, trusting that, that the people in power would, would, uh, would, would find a way to make it work. And I'm just... Uh, beyond happy that that it has worked you know i just love going out on the field every day and i don't think anyone will ever take it for granted that we're just going to be able to go out here and 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 do what we love to do gary so now that you've got cap underway what were the initial challenges to getting players here and then getting camp started and have you seen some sort of seamlessness now go since you have been having a couple of days like five six days into camp yeah, it's getting better. It's getting better. Um, yeah, I mean the just the uh, the details on getting people into camp and the quarantine uh, when they got here and being in their hotels and getting meals to them. I mean, there, there was a lot. There was a lot. And you know, now that the players are out and practicing, it feels much closer to normal. Um, you know, we're still, you know, wearing masks indoors and doing all the things necessary to, and taking a lot of tests uh, during during the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, never never had uh, many many uh, items up my nose. I think is, is uh, the last last few weeks. But you know, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And I think all the players would say it was worth it too. And and so I told the guys, whatever it is that we have to do to get out on the football field and think football, we we we're prepared to do it. And and uh, and they have uh, they have answered the call, and so I'm I'm really happy about that. He's the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, Kahari Jones, joining us here today on Rintoul and Sermon. Heard Dave Dickinson mention it. We asked Michael Riley about it earlier this week. How do you know what you have when you don't have preseason games and you haven't had a team together for a couple of years? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the year of the unknown. It really is, and. Uh, you know the the preseason games are usually when you truly find out about a player and find out what they're about, and they're always surprises. They're always guys that you know practiced really well, and then you get into a game and it 
just doesn't work out or or the opposite. And uh, I, yeah, I didn't want to tell the players, but if you know, if there wasn't for preseason games, I may not have played in the in the CFL because that's where I, I really got my opportunity to shine, and that's where the coaches really saw what I was about. So it's it's going to be a difficult time to uh, to to evaluate these guys. The biggest thing that we have to do is try to make um, make our scrimmages and make our our times that we're really competing as close to game like as possible, so we can we can really assess these guys because. I, I always want to give every player uh, uh, as much of an opportunity to make it, uh, make a, the football team as, as possible. And so uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to definitely try to do that. Your path to being a starting quarterback in the Canadian Football League wasn't exactly the same as Vernon Adams Jr., but both of us know that it took both of you, both he and, and you as quarterbacks, a little longer before you really got a shot. What did you see from Vernon Adams Jr. that sold you on his ability to be a starter in this league? Yeah, well, just the first, the, the talent was always there. I remember watching him in college, or even as far back as Eastern Washington before he got to Oregon, and I, I thought he was just a brilliant quarterback. And he's playing, you know, it's a it's a smaller school, and they're playing some of the bigger schools, and he was just uh, he was just lighting it up. And then he gets into the CFL, and and it doesn't work out for him. But we had him in 2018 for a little while, and again, he was that the. the the raw materials were there. It was just about, you know, him, him kind of uh, figuring things out. And uh, in training camp in 2019 is where I think it all changed. He was he was our four-string quarterback in 2019 in, in training camp, all training camp. But every time he came into a practice, he he looked like a starting quarterback. He carried himself like that. And, uh, and it didn't take long for him to – take that position and run with it and so uh yeah it was just this this click he was he finally he finally uh got to that point and uh yeah i'm I'm really grateful for that gahari a couple of years ago when um we could travel and there's a season i remember being on the sidelines as the bc lions reporter and you're of course on the same sidelines um as your team the montreal alouettes in the mcgill stadium there and i remember just the way that the fans reacted to vernon adams jr just seemed like first of all his excitement on his face the smile the enjoyment that he looks like he has playing on the field and it looks like the fans gravitated to that and the cfl were always looking for you know faces and people that we can market like do you see him as one of those players that not just in Montreal but like a face of the CFL that can be marketable going forward I do I really do I hope so I hope the league sees him as that because he is he's what this league is is really about I mean as far as the the excitement level of our game uh, I don't think there's there's many more exciting players that you can look for than than uh, than Vernon as far as you know throwing the ball and being able to run and and make plays with his feet um, uh, and and just the the joy that he plays the game with is uh, yeah it just it just lights up the the, the stadium and so. Um, I, I really hope that the league kind of looks at that. And there's some other young quarterbacks in the league too, that are, that are, that have that, that going for them. And so it's a, it's a good time for the league. And, and, uh, I think Vernon should be at the forefront of the of people that, that are, that are marketing in the league and, and selling it and saying, Hey, this is not only just, just fun football, but it is, it is really high level football and high quality football. And, and, uh, he's, 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 uh, he's on, on his way to uh to be in one of the one of the one of the great QBs 
A little bit earlier, Scott asked you how to evaluate your team and players without preseason games and not having seen players play in two years. But um, you guys finished with a 10-8 and record in 2019. You got to the playoffs. You ended the franchise five-year playoff drought. There is a season that we haven't had, and it could be said that this is a blank slate for every team. How do you see your team stacking up, or just how do you see this this season overall? Is it a clean slate for everyone, or do you think you know there is some advantages to certain teams? Yeah, well, I, I think there may be a, an advantage to, to certain teams um, that you know that have a little bit of consistency because there's no preseason games. If you, it, it's going to be as uh, a, a um, uh, it'll be. We need to figure out how fast we can gel as a, as a football mm-hmm. team, and our team because we've kind of been together a little bit and and a lot of pieces, especially on offense. Hopefully, we can we can gel pretty fast uh, on defense. We got a lot of different pieces. Uh, we have a new defensive coordinator, and so uh, I, I think a big part of this season is not just the talent level, not just. Uh, the you know um, uh, the group that that people have assembled, but how fast these teams can really come together and and play uh, quality football because you you really do you need those preseason games to work out kinks and all that so it it it, it could look a little clunky at the beginning but but uh, uh, you're hoping to avoid that and and uh, hopefully we're one of those teams that can avoid it few more minutes with the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, Kahari Jones, joining us here today on Rintoul and Sermon. Because of all the challenges and uncertainty the league has faced in the last little while, was it difficult to sell American players on taking an opportunity here this year? Uh, I don't think so, uh, only because guys want to play football. They really do. And there's not that many options out there. Um, you know, with with uh, the XFL uh, shutting the doors, and and uh, there's a spring league out, and and you know, there's other leagues that are uh, that are kind of getting going, but the, the CFL has has been a a, a tried and true uh, uh, league, and and the guys know about it now in the in the in the U.S. and so uh, guys guys want that opportunity. They wanna they want to do what they've done their whole lives, and so. Uh, I, I don't think it was a, a, a big sell. I mean, and they they had to go through a lot, you know, especially the guys from the U.S. You know, they had to quarantine at home, and then they had to come up here and quarantine for for seven days. And so, you, you only do that if you if you really want to want to to do something and if you love it. And uh, so, we're finding guys that that really love this game, and and uh, we have a lot of those guys in camp and. And it's uh, it's it's fun to coach these guys because they're 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 out here, you know they're they're making a paycheck, but they're out here for the love of the game. You are a very positive person by nature, so I imagine you're <laughs> optimistic about getting fans back in the stands and having a raucous crowd to see your football team. We've been debating yeah. this over the last little while, and understandably so. Hey, places like Montreal, Toronto. And Vancouver have struggled at the gate in the last few years. We all saw the scenes outside the Habs run. Does yeah. it feel in Montreal like there's a pent-up demand after what we've all been through from a pandemic point of view of just getting out, getting together to do something, and that something might be an Alouettes game? Yes, yes. I mean, I was I was fortunate enough to be here, uh, you know, when the, uh, during the, the, the end of the Montreal uh, Canadiens run. 
and seeing just the the crowds uh, outside and and the people just just how happy they were and and uh yeah it was so much fun and all i could think about is i want that for uh, this city, and I want that for for the Montreal Alouettes. And so I, I felt like we got a taste of that uh, at the end of 2019. You know, the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger, uh, leading up to the to the uh, to the playoff game where we had a, a fantastic crowd and and people were so into it and and uh, and loved it. And so uh, even though it's a year later, I. I still think we can build on that, and I still think we can show them that, you know what, win or lose, you, you are going to have a great time out, and, and we're going to win a lot more than we lose. And, and that's, that's what I'm hoping, and, and uh, hopefully there can be a little synergy between the Canadians and the Alouettes where, where people just, just uh, jump on the bandwagon and, and, and have some fun with us. So you've almost always got a smile on your face, but you're human, so I know you get frustrated. I know you get mad. What does that look like when Kahari Jones is mad on the sideline? Are you a yeller, a screamer? Are you just like that dad that gets all quiet and puts a frown on his face? You know he's disappointed. What does that look like, Kahari? I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more on the quiet side with the frown, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I catch myself, uh, or my, my wife catches me on TV sometimes, and she does, she's seen that look. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I can, I can yell, too. I can, I can lose it a little bit. But it takes a lot. It takes a whole lot. You know what? I, I like to be in a positive place. I like to try to figure out whatever problems there are. But, uh, but yeah, the guys know when I'm quiet that there's probably something wrong. And so, so yeah, that's that's the quiet dad look. <laughs> hey, man, I want to take one minute here at the end. We spoke last year after you shared a really emotional story. We've had some really tough conversations and needed conversations in this country, on this continent over the past year and change during the pandemic. You lent your voice. You told a really emotional story about racism. I see recently you've rent, lent your voice to suicide prevention and mm-hmm. and awareness in that capacity as well. How do you find the time and why are these causes so important to you right now where you're at in your life? Yeah, um, uh, you know what, for me, it's, it's not only just personal, but just, you know, wanting to help people and wanting to, you know, help make the world as, as good a place as it can be. Um, uh, what you talked about uh suicide prevention and and i've worked with living works for years i started out with uh working with them as an actor and then and then as an ambassador and uh it's a a great uh uh, organization that helps people you know talk about suicide and 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 discuss it and and it was one of those things that you 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 know it's it's kind of uh in the shadows a little bit and so and and you, you need those tools to know how to help people with that are that are thinking uh, about suicide, and so uh, yeah, I've had you know uh, people close to me that have uh, uh, taken their life by suicide, and and uh, it's 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 horrible. It's a tragedy, and and so yeah, anytime I can lend my my voice to something and and feel like it can help some, then and, uh, I'm going to try to do that, and and uh, no. Uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that uh, we want to want to want to help people in in any way we can, and and uh, uh, yeah, so that's 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 it. Well, I know that the basis of our discussion today was far less serious than that, but I wanted to take a minute out there at the end because you're never afraid of the real conversations. Kahari, thank you very much for doing this, man. Continued success. I hope it all goes well for you and for the Owls this year. 
Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks, Karen. I really appreciate talking to you guys. That is Kahari Jones. This is one of those former players has been entrenched in the league since his playing days that I just love having around. Mm -hmm. He's one of those people you want in your community, Karen. You want him in your league. He's not afraid of those conversations. He has so much great personality and insight to share. He does. And, I mean, talk about the CFL, first of all, a great person to have in our league. He loves the league. He loves the three-down football, and he loves his players in it, Scott. He's, I think, a wonderful head coach, a wonderful addition to that Montreal team and the Montreal organization. But he's also a great person in the world, and, you know, he wants the world to be a better place for people to live in it. And if only we could have more Kahari Jones in it, because you just listen to him, and you just think, like, that's the, those are the type of people we need in this world. We need more of them. And so I'm happy to have a conversation with him anytime. I remember him as a quarterback from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers back when I used to live in Winnipeg. Scott, um, him leading that team, of course, he was a BC Lions quarterback. He was with the Calgary Stampeders for a year as well. And of course, with the Lions coaching staff. But just a wonderful overall person to uh, just to have not just on our show, but just honestly in the world. And I, I know that sounds really, you know, <laughs> big out there in the grand scheme of things, but he is just a great person. Yeah, he really is, and I always have time for him on this program. Much like the quarterback he has under his watch right now, Vernon Adams had to leave BC to get himself a legitimate shot. As you mentioned, that happened in Winnipeg, and boy, could he get it done as a player. Mm -hmm. Because Kahari has a smile on his face, I do want to give a little more detail to that story. He told it to me a few years ago, but it was pretty funny. He's coaching in the lower mainland. He's living in the lower mainland, so... One of his friends says, we're playing a pickup football game. You want to come out? It's just like a Saturday afternoon. We're just playing at the park down the street. And he's like, ah, sure. Why not? Let's go throw around the football. And he's out there, and he's throwing the ball a little bit. And, you know, guys are introducing themselves. Oh, this is my friend Steve. This is Dave. This is yeah. Kahari. And one of the guys quips something to him along the lines with, yeah, like Kahari Jones, only better, that guy, whatever. <laughs> so he proceeds to go out and just – light this guy up and of course you're talking about a former pro quarterback so he's throwing it just a little better than most of the guys around the yard and at the end the guy felt pretty low when he found out it actually was Kahari Jones and he'd taken a shot at him without even knowing yeah that's one of those things where you're it's like oh my bad and you kind of slink to the corner and then probably don't speak to him ever again because you, you just kind of insulted him a little bit but obviously uh Kahari I can only imagine imagine took it in good nature I'm glad you brought that up to him Scott it's um Montreal is one of those lucky teams like we didn't mention this with him but they actually have a bye the first round or the first week of the CFL season which kicks off August 5th in Winnipeg against the Hamilton Tiger Cats that's the first week they don't play till week two they're out east for a couple of games sorry out west for a couple of games as we did see that the schedule was tilted towards the west because you know situations with COVID and getting fans in the stadiums it was a little uncertain in the east so they are kind of starting at west they play their first home game on not till August 28th, week four. So they're hosting Hamilton. But I'm, I'm excited to see this team because they did overachieve last or two seasons ago. I mean, maybe not. Maybe this is where Kahari already saw them. But they finished second in the Eastern Conference. They lost to the Elks, called a different team at the time two years ago in the Eastern Conference semifinals. But they've got a great young talent. And so we'll see what he can kind of get them doing on the field early on this year. Yeah, reason to be excited there. 
NHL fans have reason to be excited. We're now 24 hours away. We'll dig back into the National Hockey League. There are a couple of football stories out there as well. One involving Tom Brady, the other involving a very prominent future Hall of Famer as well. We'll get to all of it in the final hour of the program. 960-960-650-650. If you want in, dive in next on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. I'm surprised. I am surprised. We've had so much breaking news during our show this week. I'm surprised we haven't had any from the National Hockey League over the course of the first three hours of the program. Final hour of the week, it's Rintoul and Sermon. Are you surprised as well? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, we'll keep it. We talked before the show, Scott. We said we'll keep it a little flexible. We got a couple of segments, you know, that we usually do on Fridays or one that we had moved from Wednesday to Friday. And we're like, okay, if you only had to do one of those because we have breaking news, which one would you like to do? I'm actually completely shocked. I mean, we saw the Ryan Graves thing go down yesterday, and I thought that would be a trickle-down effect. Joe Sackett got out in front of the I'm going to lose a player for nothing to Ron Francis. The ask to keep him from Ron Francis is too high. New Jersey's willing to give me a prospect and a pick, a second-round pick for this player. Okay, good. I'm going to go get rid of him, and that's fine. I get something in return. I would have thought Tampa Bay would have been active. I would have thought Carolina would have been active. I would have thought some other teams would have been acting with their protection issues. But it strikes me as something as <laughs> trying to get on the phone back with Ron Francis or Seattle and saying, okay, can you lower the deal? That's what it strikes me as. It's like, a can we, we're still doing like a power brokerage with Ron Francis. That's my opinion, what I think is going on. And then they'll go back to other teams. Maybe that's why things are taking a little bit longer than we expected. Yeah, there's some sort of staring contest going on with Seattle, and I imagine that's happening with other teams as well. What's Tampa Bay doing with its protection issues? Are they going to suck it up? Julian Breezebois sort of alluded to that when he was on the Fan 590 yesterday. Well, we're going to lose a good player here. That's just the cost of doing business. Is that really his MO? What about Carolina? There's a protection issue. A team that hasn't been discussed much, perhaps should have been discussed more. The Winnipeg Jets. We had a good text in the last couple of hours that I want to get to now, and it's a very valid point. This texter said, I would talk to Winnipeg, and I imagine this person is coming at it from a Vancouver Canucks angle. In Calgary, their protection discussion is about Mark Giordano. Do you, don't you? Most fans seem to be of the opinion, yeah, sorry, we just got to leave him unprotected. In Vancouver, it's the opposite situation. Vancouver would like to do something along the lines of what New Jersey did. Get another player that you can protect because you have an available slot if you're able to acquire an asset. This texture says, I would talk to Winnipeg. They have four players at risk to lose. Dylan DeMello, Logan Stanley, Andrew Kopp, Mason Appleton. Canucks should be able to pry one of them for either a pick or a prospect. Andrew Kopp will likely be protected. I will be surprised if he is not. The question then becomes, does he go to market as a UFA? Can you get something done? They obviously think there's enough there where they can find a way to get him done financially, get a contract in place if they're going to protect him. The other three are very relevant. Mason Appleton, some have viewed as a target for quite some time. A player that you can get on a cheap contract probably deserves a little more ice than he's able to get in Winnipeg, and you can get a value contract in your bottom six. The back-end one's interesting as well. I heard a couple of the Sportsnet colleagues we have in Winnipeg, Ken Weeb, Sean Reynolds, talking last night, and they were saying, who are they going to lose? And to them, it was one of those two players, a defenseman, Dylan DeMello or Logan Stanley. If either of those players interest you, if you're looking at trying to shore up your blue line a little bit, maybe you're placing that call to Kevin Sheveldayoff. 
Yeah, and so one of the big issues with the Winnipeg Jets, and as you said, is is what to do on defense. Like, we talked about this team moving forward. They are, forward-wise, set up to be a very deep team that could go make a deep run in the playoffs. And I don't want to talk about what happened in Montreal, but when you just look at it in the context of that forward group, it's a deep forward group. It's big, it's strong, that third line is great, and... They look to be poised to do that. They've got the, you know, Vesna candidate uh, goaltender in Hellebuck. So what do they do with their defense? And I look at, like, a Logan Stanley, and obviously he played a pretty big role on a defense that was the... That was the problem with their team last year. So how do they go about that? Do they draft? Do they develop it that way, Scott? Do they do free agents, trades? Well, it is hard to try to get free agents at points to Winnipeg. We've seen some go in the past. You know, you've got Dylan DeMello and you've got Dmitry Kulikov and Nathan Beaulieu, players that at points in time did decide to go to Winnipeg, but it tends to be either a trades or draft and develop. So that leads what does... Kevin Sheffeldayoff do. It's been pretty quiet out of there, hasn't it? When thinking about what could or couldn't happen like how much does he stand pat how much does he have to change that defensive core how aggressive is he's going to be so it'll be interesting to see how the route that he goes but I would say that that Logan Stanley that's one of the players that I have circled as does that's the player they live in to protect it can they figure out a way to keep him that's one when I'm looking at Winnipeg's protection issues that's where one player that I'm thinking yeah you don't want to lose that player or is it Dylan DeMello? Because they're protecting Josh Morrissey, they're protecting Neil Pionk, and assuming they pr- protect seven forwards, which they're going to, we talked at length about the depth of the Winnipeg Jets forward group. Who do you protect? Do you protect DeMello? Do you protect Stanley? Now, DeMello is going to be a UFA not until 2024. Remember, they signed him to the deal after trading for him in Ottawa. Logan Stanley's a restricted free agent. We know the preference of the head coach last year, Paul Maurice, was to play him over Sammy Niku, who some thought should have been in the lineup, or or certainly Vili uh, Heinola, who mm-hmm. many in management are said to have preferred over Logan Stanley. Well, Logan Stanley played a role, certainly, in eliminating the Edmonton Oilers, and we, and we saw his value in the first round of the playoffs. What's the power struggle there in terms of who do you protect, DeMello? Stanley, head coach, who does he prefer, who does management prefer, but you're only protecting one of those guys, and if there's one available, can you ship him somewhere else before Seattle just nabs him for nothing? Yeah, I mean, it's the cost uh, the cost analysis that's coming with one of these players, Scott. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, like I said, Kevin Chalderos doesn't really tend to be too aggressive. He did make one move with Vegas. Remember, he made the first-round pick swap with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, That's what he did to try and save a protected player off his list. That first-round pick swap, do you know who that ended up being, though, for the Vegas Golden Knights, who actually the Montreal Canadiens benefit for? That was the Nick Suzuki pick that happened. I think uh, if you're Kevin Shevel Dayoff and you're thinking about, hmm, would I have liked to have that one back? I think he probably would have. But yes, we've seen that in trying to protect a player in the past, he has gone down that route with Vegas. Has he learned his lesson? We'll have to see. We have a lot of questions coming in. Isn't Edler breaking news? Well, it was a couple hours ago when we talked about it. Alex Edler going to test the market. To what extent that is, we'll see. Is that just talking to Seattle this weekend to get an idea of what the climate looks like, how much appetite there is, what kind of deal that would look like? Is that actually going into free agency? Alex Edler's not a day one signing. He doesn't strike me as that. I'll be surprised if he signs on day one of free agency. And he still might end up with the Vancouver Canucks. We'll see. I mean, because, like, is it really considered breaking news other than the fact it's kind of expected? that? Why would you not want to test for agency if the contract that you, if 
that Vancouver has kind of given you is like, okay, well, it's a little too team friendly, Scott. Like, I want to see if there's anything out there that's more attractive, either in renegotiating with the Vancouver Canucks or going to chase the Stanley Cup. What's a more attractive city that he might want to live in? We do know that he'd like to be, and for all intents and purposes, wants to be a Vancouver Canuck for life. But if there is a deal out there to go to a Stanley Cup contending team, you just, I don't think you can turn that down at the age of 35. Some things might be more important to you. Like some things might staying with your family, staying with the team that you've been with your entire career. But when you look at age, when you look at how many more years you have left, yeah, testing for agency could be a very possibility for uh, Alex Edler. Well, he's going to test it, and I I can't presuppose what his priority list looks like. Play for a cup contending team, have a bigger role than perhaps he's being offered in Vancouver next season. It might be that. He might say, I've got more tread on these tires than you think I have right now. I see myself a little further up a defense core. I don't imagine Alex Edler views himself as a top-pairing guy, but maybe he thinks he's a 3-4, and maybe the Canucks think he's a 5-6. It might be that, and just let's see how teams view me. We can circle back. We can have a conversation later. Brock Besser's name up came came up yesterday and it was because Mm -hmm. there was a quote in the athletic and it was a small quote and it was further down the list and it was Brock Besser unlikely to be traded but there was an unnamed GM who said well his name's out there his name's out there he's available Elliot Friedman threw some cold water on that earlier today have a listen the other thing about Vancouver I I wanted to mention where there was some Brock Besser rumblings yeah on Thursday this is what I think was going on with Brock Besser. I do think his name came up, but I don't think it's because Vancouver's got him on the market. I really think that it was Vancouver going after something they really wanted or needed, and Besser's name came up as the price that it was going to cost them. And I really believe that if Besser was getting moved this year, it was purely because of a deal where Vancouver got something and we would say, oh, okay, now we kind of understand why this happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think his name is being thrown out there. I think it was specific to a certain kind of trade. So I don't think it's a general Bessers available. So, and it makes sense. Right. Like if you're Jim Benning and you're looking at your team and you said you're going to be aggressive and you have to better your team moving forward. If someone says, I'll give you a top pairing defenseman or a top four def- pair uh, defenseman, but the cost is Brock Besser. Like you're going to have to go back and think about it. Right. And talk to other people and see, does this make sense for your team? I get it. I understand it. You finished last in the division last year. You have to better your team. And one of the big issues you need is a top four defenseman. So I get listing on it. It doesn't also mean that this is the way that you're going to go. This is negotiation. Okay, well, we want Brock Besser. Well, we go back and we figure out, no, we're not willing to give him. Does there, is there enough, something else that makes sense? Like it just, this isn't surprising to me that his name is out there. It always is, but to get something, you're going to have to give anything up. You just have to weigh the decision is, is it worth it to give a top six, top, you know, forward in Besser a way to get something else you need? More than anything, it reinforces the point that Brock Besser is an attractive asset. He's an attractive asset to another team. And the conversation, there are so many ways these things can go, Karen. You can call up another GM and say, hey, we're looking at player A and... All of a sudden, what comes back, well, if we're moving him, maybe let's talk about a bigger deal here. You got any interest in moving Besser? And Benning responds with, well, if we were going to move him, we'd need 
this player in addition if we're going to make a bigger deal out of it. And the only way I would actually move that asset is if I got something back from you that looks like this. Like that, it can be as simple as that. And then somebody interprets it as, well, the player is available. Yeah. I got news for you. Every player is available at the right price. Everyone? Yes. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky was traded, Karen. I, I don't need to go back to that, do I? Everyone is available at the right price. Now, for some players like Connor McDavid, you're going to have to give up so much that it's not worth your while to do it. But every player is available at the right price. Just most people aren't going to get to the price point on some of these elite players. Fair enough. Fair enough, Scotty. We saw, too, we were talking about Calgary because Freeman was on 960 this morning in Calgary talking about uh, Mark Giordano. And we talked about this earlier in the show, and we're going to play the clip here. But when we talk about Mark Giordano and you say every player is available for a price, well, there are some prices that Calgary Flames fans, at least texting into our inbox, are not willing to pay to keep a player like Mark Giordano. Yeah, have a listen to what Friedman had to say because apparently there is some indecision as to whether or not he's going to be protected or not. I think that Giordano knows he could be unprotected. But I think I think that Calgary has said to him that it's possible, but until we know, we're not committing one way or the other. I, as has been reported, I think the Flames have approached Seattle about what would it take for, good, for Giordano not to be taken. The rumor has been that the prices have been very high. Jeff on the podcast said this morning that he heard that uh, Seattle was asking teams for a first and a third not to take people. I hadn't heard that as of yesterday, but after Jeff said it, I made a couple of calls. And, you know, nobody would say 100%, but they, they said that Jeff wasn't insane by suggesting that. Because I think Merrick is insane about a lot of things. I was going to say, yeah. Huh. But on that one, nobody said, you know, he's nuts. So, it's, you know, I think it's probably in and around that area, at least for now. So that lets you know what, you know, the Flames are dealing with. If they, the idea of what the Flames are dealing with, if they want to avoid, uh, want to make a side deal for your captain. And the Flames aren't the only team in this if you want to call it predicament, predicament. Montreal's an example of this right now. Now, Montreal's yep. in a little bit different situation. If the ask is right now a first and a third, let's just presuppose that for the sake of this conversation. Does the price go down to a second and a third, a second and a fourth by tomorrow when Ron Francis is saying, well, we can take something else that's attractive off a roster and we can get ourselves some assets? I'll look at a place like Montreal, for example. The Shea Weber revelation and the fact that he might not play moving forward and that saves them a protection slot that helps them on defense but Jake Allen's going to be exposed we know that well if you're Mark Bergevin and while you only have first one first round pick you got two seconds this year you got two thirds you got three fourths are you willing to spend say Tampa Bay's second which is the last pick of the second round and one of your three fourth round picks to protect Jake Allen some people will say nope don't give up any other assets Mark Bergevin might say, Jake Allen's the key to keeping Carey Price where he's at to do the types of things he did in the postseason, and that's essential to us having some success next year. All depends on your situation. All this, all depends on your asset base, Karen. Yeah, and I think Montreal's in a pretty decent situation because they have a ton of extra draft picks. Like, If I'm looking at Montreal and you're saying it's a second and a fourth to, keep, to, t uh, to not take Jake Allen, but... 
you know, we've already got some extra draft picks. Does it really matter if we lose those? Yeah, maybe you're thinking about, when I look at the Calgary Flames, though, I mean, you're in a different position than you are in Montreal. You just don't have, you have two third round picks. You don't have a fourth. And then you have one in each other round and you have 12th overall. Like, I just don't see the fact that it makes sense for Calgary to give Mark to give picks away to keep Mark Giordano. Like, I would rather, if I'm Calgary and I'm Calgary fans, Flames, I would rather say, give a pick and and Mark Giordano to another team that's going to give you something back in return. Like, I just, to me, it doesn't make sense to, for a 38-year-old aged defenseman with a couple of years left, and I understand he's your captain, and he's still probably got a couple of years left, and maybe Daryl Sutter does want to have him on your team, but in a you finished second to last in the division, Scott, last year. It's just, I want to keep all the assets that I have. Right. Or do you want to bring in assets yourself? And that's what we saw with Colorado yesterday. They went out and got that's what assets I'm talking about, for a right? player they felt they were going to lose. So this is where the Kurt Overhart piece comes in. We had the agent on earlier, not Mark Giordano's agent, but this is a guy who's got a lot of players under his umbrella. And we asked him, hey, if you know a guy is going to be exposed in the expansion draft, do you ever have a side conversation? Do you ever help direct a player a different way? Let's say, for example, Mark Giordano at this point thinks he's going to be exposed. Does Brad Living come to him and say, look, man, we're in a situation we're going to have to do this, but we could try to move you somewhere else. Yes. Now, there aren't, there aren't a lot of teams right now that can go acquire Mark Giordano because they don't have extra protection slots, but if you're going to lose a player for nothing, do you get out in front of it? There's going to be a lot more teams that are interested in Mark Giordano if Seattle Kraken select him Retain. because now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about protection issues. Now you just have to worry about cap issues and roster sizes moving forward. It's a really interesting situation that is going to be monitored closely over the next 24 hours. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. That listener texted in. It's like, okay, Giordano and a third and a second, hopefully, and then you don't lose him for anything. Or you get a third and a second back. You don't lose him for anything. And I, we do know the fact that GMs have been calling Ron Francis on the possibility. Okay, if you are going to take Mark Giordano, can you retain some of that salary? Because we would like to have him, if you're a cup-contending team, on half his salary cap. That's a very attractive player to have. We also do know Mark Giordano. If you are the agent, Scott, and you are going to try and, you know, facilitate some other move other than Seattle, he does have a bit of a no-move clause. It's a modified no-trades clause. 19 teams he can be traded to, so he also does control it a little bit in that situation, and he would control it a little bit with Seattle, but I do like the idea. If you're going to lose him, try and lose him and gain something back, because I don't want to give assets away to keep the player. Keep those texts coming in, 960, 960, 650, 650. We wait all week to get to this. We will wait no longer. We'll bring in the producer of this program, Shohei Otani, to get to our headlines that feature in the eye test. Yeah, a few things that caught our eyes and we like to label with some sort of word that begins with an I. Jamie Dodd jumps in here now to hit us with the headlines that matter. Jamie, what's up? In the world of footy, Canada has already booked a spot in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. Improvement is the word. Improvement. This is the first time ever that Canada has qualified for this round of the tournament, the quarterfinal. They've been there in three consecutive Gold Cups, but it's the first time they've got having to play their three preliminary matches, their three round-robin matches. Now, their final match, and some of this is scheduling, Karen, because they haven't played the U.S. yet. Their first couple of matches against Martinique and Haiti – yeah, those are softer matches, especially given what Haiti was mm -hmm. up against. Haiti was missing nine players because of COVID. 
But Canada won both of those games in relatively dominant fashion. 4-1 on the scoreboard. And this gives you an idea of how much improvement there's been. The talking point coming out of Canada beating Haiti 4-1 was, should it have been more lopsided? Should they have scored earlier? Like, we're talking about style points now. When can we ever remember talking about style points when it comes to our national men's soccer team? And this is why I use the word important, because we are talking about the fact that, like, okay, well, it's like, oh, they just squeezed out a one nothing victory, or it was a nil-nil draw, Scott. We're talking about the fact that they should be beating these teams, these lesser quality teams, and teams that are obviously at a disadvantage because of COVID, and they should be beating them by more. It's important, too, because, you know, it's players that, it's not Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David isn't there. They've been kind of put behind the A-ball with a couple of their best uh, players not there, so we'll see what they do against the United States team. And this United States team is not the United States team that's going to be in the World Cup qualifying. I believe going into last night's game or the previous game they played, they only had five caps among their players for the U.S. national side. So it's a very different squad, but that maybe puts some more at an even playing field. We'll see what happens moving forward. But it is nice to see after only two matches, they've already um, secured their spot in the quarterfinals. All right, Jamie, next what's up on next? the eye test, Bradley Beal and Kevin Love are out for the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team. Uh, irreplaceable in terms of Bradley Beal. This United States men's basketball team is taking a big hit, Scott. Um, Bradley Beal is out because of COVID protocols. He will not be going to the Olympics officially. Kevin Love citing injury issues, why he will not be going. Of course, we all know that LeBron James, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, among others, will not be there. Some because of the injury. You've got the Kyle Lowry, Scott, because of the fact he doesn't have a contract going into next season. So he doesn't want to risk going over and playing in Tokyo. But we saw them lose two early just exhibition games, one to Nigeria, which was a very unexpected, shall we say. Uh, they did come back and beat Argentina pretty well. Their game against Australia was canceled. But when you're taking a Kevin Love off and replacing him with JaVale McGee, like, sorry, JaVale McGee, no offense, but don't really see you playing for a U.S. Olympic roster when they're called the Dream Team. So irreplaceable, especially with Bradley Beal, because they don't think they're going to be able to get a lot of players to be able to replace these guys, especially quality players. They're on vacation. They have to go through COVID protocol. Are these players going to come and be some guys that they bring in going to be in playing <laughs> capacity, right? They haven't played in, I don't know how many months. So there are some questions. I mean, it's in, I'm crying, like so crying tears for the U S men's basketball team that they can't send their A team, but still it's, they are in a world of hurt right now because they are losing irreplaceable players. You stole my I-word, and that I-word would be issues, and you just outlined all of the issues <laughs> this roster has right now, but I had a little chuckle there about you talking about the players who might be available being on vacation. Like, I can just see somebody hitting Popovich or somebody with USA Basketball back with, new phone, who dis? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm not answering this, man. Not answering this right now. I've got my feet up, and I'm not making the trip. Thank you very much for calling. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're crocodile tears that I'm cheering, that I'm, you know, saying for the United States right here, Scott. But too, I mean, they they are the deepest team, and we always say, like, look, they could dress two, three teams and still be competitive at the Olympics. It puts them at a disadvantage. Uh, they're gonna be. I don't know if they're gonna even have a full roster when they go over there. They're probably still gonna be the favorite. I understand that, but and I do feel a little bad. 
bad for Bradley Beal. I mean, he's been snubbed in his NBA career. He's been stuck in Washington for how many years? He never really makes it to the All-Star first and second and All-Star teams at the end of the season. He was really excited to wear that Team USA. And it's not an injury, the fact that he's in COVID protocols. It just really sucks for a player that was really looking forward to going over there. All right, Jamie, last but certainly not least, what do we got? Yeah, finally on the eye test, Bryson DeChambeau has apologized after trash-talking his own driver following the first round at the Open Championship. We talked about this a little earlier with the Brooks Kepka quote that we had and what they're saying, Scott, but it's just immature. It's like take some accountability for how you're playing on the golf course. He knows that his game is razor thin between being really good or being really awful. And I didn't hear him complaining too much about his driver when he won the U.S. Open a couple of years back. It was a Cobra, not necessarily the same one that he's using over there in England right now. But Scott, come on, like, just grow up a little bit, Bryson. Grow up, stop complaining. I know he apologized, I get it, but you know what? At, at some point, you just have to say, that, yeah, this is on me, not the technology. Infantile. He threw a tantrum day. And he got mad at an object instead of at himself. A lot of us out there, myself included, earlier in my life, not particularly good at losing. Didn't handle it the right way. Didn't handle adversity in a game or in a match going particularly the right way. This is a professional we're talking about here. You play a high-risk, high-reward game, this is going to happen to you sometimes. He plays high-risk all the time. Yes. He's willing to live with that risk. You got to stomach it when it doesn't go your way. It certainly didn't go his way in round number one. I didn't see what kind of round he had today. I saw Brooks Kepka taking a shot at him, which makes it more fun for the rest of us. DeChambeau's got to figure out how he deals with things better publicly. He just does. Uh, four bogeys, four birdies on the day, Scott. So he ended at even par, which is plus one. And as of right now, he is above the projected cut, which is at plus one. So depending on what happens with some of the afternoon tee times and as they start to roll in, we'll see if that changes at all. But right now, Bryson did make the cuts. Uh, some other names coming out, though, of the British Open. Uh, how did Phil end up today? Because he was dead last yesterday. Is he still dead last? I think he is. Nope, Will Zalatoris withdrew, but the... Nope, plus 17. Phil ended up picking up a couple of... No, he didn't. Plus 12 on the day. There you go, Phil. <laughs> I think we I think we saw him get his one swan song, Scott. And from now on, I just don't think that the PGA Tour, and especially the majors, we're going to see any sort of competition from Phil. I don't know if you can count him out after winning a major this year. Certainly not going well trying to hit bombs overseas right now for Phil Mickelson. We got a couple more things to get in here. We'll shoehorn them in. We'll get to notes and quotes. And, hey, who knows? Maybe our prediction will come true. It hasn't yet. Maybe we'll see some NHL trade activity before the end of this show. It's Rintoul and Sermon one final time this week. Next. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. You've seen this movie, right? Uh, once, and I don't remember it. <laughs> okay, but you know what movie this song's associated with. Is my yes, point. Pulp Fiction. Yes. Okay, good. Okay. You've seen it. <laughs> Maybe you don't remember it vividly. It's a long time ago. Like, Pulp Fiction's quite an old movie now. It is. I remember this. This was the dance scene, right? With Uma Thurman and uh, John Travolta? Okay. Travolta. Okay. There we go. Okay. I got it. It always makes me think of the I Oilers. I put this on your list. Sorry, Scott. This makes you think of the Oilers playoff run. This is what they used to skate out to when they went to the like final. Like in 2006? Yeah, in when 2006? they went to the final. 
doesn't ring a bell. You think Greg, of does the, not ring a bell. You think of the Oilers' run to the final with this song more so than the movie Pulp Fiction, Greg? Um, it's kind of fifty-fifty in my mind. I it was a big deal growing up when the Oilers made it to the final. I was uh, I was a kid. Greg, so have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes, it's one of my favorite movies. Okay, and <laughs> okay just, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. <laughs> you know, I knew goalies were different, but you're taking it to another level with that admission that you associated as closely with the Oilers' run in well, 2006 like, like as you, you do with the Pulp Fiction in 94. With Montreal Canadiens coming out, they skate out to that. It's like U2, Streets of No Name. That's kind of my association with it. I'm sure there's other associations for those other songs, too. You find yourself in the minority today, sir. You okay. find yourself we'll see what in the, the Alberta mi- I, I would have think, to hey, say. all right, all right, nine sixty nine sixty. If you're going to back Greg on this, that you associate that song more closely with the Edmonton Oilers' <laughs> run to the Cup in two thousand six than Pulp Fiction in nineteen ninety four. I'm a fan of the team. I don't remember the song from two thousand and six, and I've only seen Pulp Fiction once. And I still, it goes with Pulp Fiction for me. So there you go, Greg. Let's get this Tom Brady note in here because it was getting a lot of headlines yesterday. It was getting a lot of traction yesterday. Boy, it was getting played up online. It's hard to bring up because it sounds like you are trying to downplay the greatest quarterback of all time, and that's not what I'm doing here. But so the news comes out yesterday, Karen, that Tom Brady played last season on a torn in MCL. It's not nothing. Yeah. It's just not as superhuman as it sounds. Like, I saw the comments online. Can you believe Tom Brady oh played last season on a torn MCL? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And here's why I can, because it's not a torn ACL. And if this is a torn ACL, we're talking about something that's superhuman. Torn MCL that Tom Brady knew about prior to last season. Like, this dates back to when he was with the New England Patriots, and then you go back to April before last year, and he says, yeah, I knew I had to have something done. He participated in everything he was able to, and more, if you remember correctly. There were people saying Tom Brady's skirting protocol a little bit down in Tampa Bay to get up to speed with his new receivers and his new team, and and why is he doing that? Tom Brady said, yeah, I can play through this. So I'm not that surprised. He got the surgery after the season. But this isn't a broken leg. This isn't something where Tom Brady was risking amputation should he play through this injury. No, apparently there was moderate risk to the knee. Moderate, I guess that's a little more than low risk to knee, Scott. I guess depending on which doctors you you talk to, it's for those that don't know the MCL, it's the ligament that runs on the inside of your knee. It helps with stability. I mean, there's four uh, ligaments in your knee. Won't get it onto all the specific specifics in all of them. The ones mostly torn are your ACL and your MCL, and the MCL just helps stabilize it, and not as much as the ACL stabilizes your knee joints. So you can get away without surgery initially. You can wear a brace, which he had a custom brace that he wore all season. He would also be taped underneath there as well. So he did do things. Also, too, this is not like Russell Wilson. <laughs> quarterback no offense to Tom Brady but you can get away with playing with a a knee that doesn't have the full stability because you're not a running quarterback I mean you're just basically dropping back and completing passes if you're Tom Brady there's not a lot of running for your life out there there's also not a lot of running schemes in the Tampa Bay offense so if any player is going to play a season with an MCL tear Scott and be able to it's probably a Tom Brady just based on how he plays quarterback this speaks to more than anything for me is his unwavering desire to win and the painstaking painstaking lengths Karen that he goes through to keep his body in the best condition 
possible, and he does that. I heard Joe Judge on the Flying Coach podcast this week, who's the head coach of the New York Giants but was formerly the special teams coordinator in New England. And one of the stories he told this week, spoiler alert if you listen to the Flying Coach every week like I do, turn down your mobile device right now or your radio, whatever you're listening, if you don't want to hear this story right now. But Joe Judge, they ask him, hey, can you tell us a Tom Brady story? And he said, boy, I've got a lot. But he said, I'll never forget, like, our first inter-squad game. And Tom Brady's out there, and in between drills, like he throws a pass that Joe Judge thinks mm-hmm. is really on the mark. And it's not quite exactly the ball location Brady wanted. So in between reps, he throws like 15 in-cuts to make it perfect. And then he's, he expands that into Brady keeping his body in shape. And he said, mm-hmm. we're out there in January in the middle of our playoff run when this guy's been beat up all season. And while the starting defense is on the field and Tom Brady has some time off where he can relax a little bit or just talk about things offensively he's working with the strength and conditioning coach with bands on the field flexibility like everything he can do to keep his body in prime condition and give himself the best possible chance to succeed he's doing it yeah it's the tv12 method that he's invested so heavily in it's the reason why scott he talks about playing until maybe the age of 50 he has recently said that might be a little bit of a pipe dream but still there's a reason why he's able to play at the level that he's been able to play at for so long he keeps his body in incredible physical condition and maybe that did help with the knee as well i mean maybe the rest of the knee is so strong around the mcl that he was able to continue to play because you do think and I know you said, and you're like, no, it's not like a broken leg, and it's not like an ACL, but it is, you did tear a ligament in your knee, and I guess this just adds to the lore that is Tom Brady, but it's, for most people, this is significant, but because of the fact that Tom Brady is in the condition that he is, and his quads and everything else and hamstrings around it are so strong, maybe this is why Tom Brady was able to play almost an entire season with an MCL tear. One of the other big stories in the NFL this week concerns Richard Sherman. And there were allegations, and there still are, about what illegal conduct Richard Sherman engaged in this week. But some of it's been walked back. And this was a really, I'm not even sure what the word is to describe this story. But this was a story that looked loaded with landmines to me. And I've been a fan of Richard Sherman for most of his career, not because he ended up 49ers, but as a player when he was with the Seahawks, he's a really smart guy. He did something really stupid this week, allegedly. Richard Sherman is alleged to have been drinking and driving, caused some harm to his vehicle in the process, and maybe some public property. There was no victim. Like It's not like Richard Sherman crashed his car into someone else and there's a victim here. That doesn't make it right. I'm not condoning it for a second. So that's one of the allegations that's out there. The other was that because he was jailed and the way he was jailed at the time, there were allegations that there was domestic violence involved. That has now been walked back. Apparently, there was never any incident of domestic violence here. So I was really careful with this story. I think you were as well, Karen. Richard Sherman, to whatever he did and to whatever is illegal, should be prosecuted like anybody else. He put out a statement today that says this, I'm deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner I'm not proud of. I've been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all the people who have reached out and supported me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support system to lean on during this time. 
This is one of the reasons why you don't t jump to conclusions when you hear something. Off the bat, Scott, you kind of need to flesh this one out and see what else is going on. Obviously, he's dealing with some stuff right now. He just admits that. He did. And the fact that he is hopefully able to get the help that he needs. I'm happy to, when I hear that the domestic assault uh, charge is being walked back right now and there's no incident involving his wife. And if you go a little bit deeper in the story, there's some... 911 calls that were uh, released to the media, you can go read those transcripts. I'm not going to really get into that. You can do that on your own. But it just seems like it was a heartbreaking situation at the time. She was very worried from her husband, and he has apologized, and hopefully he can get the help that he needs. Yeah, there's a video out there. It's, it's home security video of Richard Sherman trying to get into his in-law's home and pounding on the door and trying to push the door and that sort of thing, which never actually happened. But based on the state he's alleged to have been in, feels like it maybe fits with what some of those allegations are nobody was harmed i'm not saying this is nothing it's not you drink and drive that's a serious thing a serious thing and he's damn lucky nobody was hurt here mm -hmm. really lucky nobody mm -hmm. was hurt yep. here it's just not what was quite made it out to be some people jumped to the conclusion on at the beginning we'll see where it goes and as you said karen i think this is the most relevant point hey with what actually happened Okay, you have to deal with that from a justice system. The other part, on a personal level, get some help, and hopefully that vow is taken seriously and that he does get the help he needs. Let's get to notes and quotes. Who's in the top six? Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Who's in the crease? Really none of your business. And who's in the press box? It's time for notes and quotes. We got some quotes coming in from Calgary Scott, and I think Greg might have to walk this back. Not that they're much different, but the Oilers skated out to pump it up by Black Eyed Peas in 06. Are you sure the Oilers didn't use Black Eyed Peas song and not the Pulp Fiction and the, instead of the Pulp Fiction one? That's the version I played. Years. I played the Did Black Eyed Peas version. Okay, well, <laughs> you have to let us know that I thought it was the the Pulp Fiction song. Well, there's no song, pounding not the Black bass in the original. I don't think is what they added. So they came out to the, the Pulp Fiction song, but the Black Eyed Peas Correct. pump it up song. Correct. Okay, good. Then you're right. You're not wrong. I digress, and we can move on, Scott. <laughs> so Craig is just Greg is just telling me I misidentified the track to begin with. Is really what the allegation here is. Is that right, Greg? There are no allegations here. I played a song, and I was correct, <laughs> and we're moving on. That's all there is to it. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the Open Championship. We referenced it a little earlier. How about Louis Oosthuizen? He set a record over at the Open. The Open, as, as you may have heard, Karen, has been around for a while. Like, this isn't the third edition of the Open Championship or the 20th edition. The Open's been around for a little while. I think 149 years, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. At least Take times. At least times. At least times. There may have been times like it's missed, like last season. So 149 times. No one has been this far under par through two rounds in the previous 148 playings. Louis Oosthuizen, minus 11, building on that success or near success that he had at the U.S. Open. Looked like he had the tournament in his pocket till the errant drive on the 71st hole. Wasn't to be. Does he get it done this weekend? I don't know. He's got a two-shot lead right now on Colin Morikawa. Jordan Spieth is in the running, so it's a good leaderboard over at mm -hmm. the Open right now. Yeah, Dustin Johnson tied at minus seven under, tied for fourth. I did see a tweet out there by one of our uh, colleagues in Vancouver, Blake Price, tweeting out the fact that, okay, Louie, 
like, let's rein it back a little bit. We want to make this something heading into the weekend. So he's only got a two-shot lead. Him and Colin Morikawa will be in the final grouping tomorrow. Scotty Scheffler is up there. Top Canadian is Mackenzie Hughes. He's finished the round one under par, five under for the tournament. Corey Connors had a good morning round, Scott. Two under par, four under for the tournament. Uh, it was one of those things where usually... If you're out early in the morning at the Open Championship, that's when the wind dies down. Well, it picks up in the afternoon, I guess. And you're saying, okay, easier course in the morning. But this was actually different today. Corey Connors got off the course and um, I believe Adam Stanley asked him about it. Like, how are the wind conditions? Do you think you had an advantage from being out there early? He said, no. He's like, actually, the wind is dying down from the morning. So the afternoon tee times actually had a bit of an advantage, which is very rare for this uh, Open Championship. Yeah, it looked like there was the ability to go low today. You see multiple 64s, including that from Morikawa. John Rahm shot 64 today as well, as did Imilano Grio shot 64 as well. Good for Mackenzie Hughes. He's still in the running here. He's six shots back, but there's 36 holes to go. He's not out of it by any means. Having a really good, He's having a really good stretch here right now. I mean, anything could happen, right? We have no idea what the wind's going to pick up to. Could it rain? Will it be sunny? I have no idea what's going to happen. That's what makes this one so fun. We talked about it yesterday. You and I always say this is the, more, the most eventful and fun uh, tournament to watch. I'll say it's the hardest one to win, especially because of the elements that come involved with it and the course construction. And it's... We'll see. I guess Louis Ustis and putting us to shame a little bit today. Same with Cor Colin Morikawa, but it makes for a fun weekend, Scott. Baseball gets back in the swing of things. It was supposed to happen yesterday. Red Sox, Yankees, six players in New York hit the COVID list. There was some question as to whether the series would resume. It's going to, but the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox are going to get after it with the rest of the majors instead of having a standalone game on Thursday. Blue Jays back in action this evening as well, hosting the Texas Rangers full slate of Major League Baseball. We can also look ahead to the NBA Finals. They don't resume until tomorrow. It's the pivotal swing game in a series tied 2-2. It's back mm -hmm. in Phoenix. This has been a homer series so far. Every team has held serve on its home court. Phoenix will try to do that tomorrow after what was a resurgent Milwaukee Bucks team getting back into the series over the course of the past week. Yeah, game four is always fun because it's like, okay, 2-2 two, two or 3-1, which way is it going to go? The Bucks came back, that massive Giannis block. And I'm still going to say, it's not the LeBron block, I understand that, but the Bucks go on to win the NBA Finals. I'm going to call that the turning point of the series. I'm going to call that the biggest factor in the Bucks winning this uh, NBA title. We'll have to see how that goes, Scott. Uh, Chris Paul needs a bounce-back game. He was terrible in game four. Do you think he's hurt a little bit? Because like, if you watched him in the fourth quarter of that game, he couldn't dribble the basketball and he had a hand issue coming out of the Lakers series I believe he had a hand issue coming out of the Clippers series as well just different hands and I wonder if some of that is affecting him right now someone said oh he looks tired out there he had three days rest between game three and game four you can't use tiredness if you're Chris Paul <laughs> as an excuse but I do wonder if he is a little bit hurt because he played terrible in game four so we'll see what happens there see if a home field advantage home court advantage he can use to his advantage in playing better we've yeah, we've had some good storylines in this series from an individual standpoint. The Chris Paul game was game one. Devin Booker went off back-to-back -back 40s from Giannis and then what Chris Middleton did and the block that Giannis provided the other night. We'll see what transpires on Saturday evening. Most of our listeners, though, looking at what's going to happen on the NHL market over the next 23 hours and change. That's when the freeze happens. Tomorrow, noon Pacific time, 1 o'clock Mountain time. Can't do anything with your roster after that. I see Elliot 
Friedman talking about Warren Fogle of the Carolina Hurricanes. There's a player that Vancouver might be interested in. They've got protection issues. Doesn't sound like things are close with him getting a deal done in Carolina. Is there a guy that is is that a guy that maybe you can get ahead of ahead of the trade freeze happening, the roster freeze happening, and having to have your protection issues submitted? We know Carolina's got a pinch. Winnipeg's got a pinch. Tampa's got a big pinch as well. Who are you talking to? Can you get something done today? I'm just excited to the fact that uh, on when we reconvene next week, Scott, we're actually going to have something tangible to hold on to. No longer speculation. I guess speculation <laughs> who you're going to lose off your roster, but we're going to know who the protection lists are. We're going to know what trades have happened leading up to that. I'm just going to say, shame on you, NHL GMs. I expected some breaking news in the four hours that we were on air. I'm very disappointed, Scott, in the NHL GMs. They let me down. They let us down, I think, as a show. Yeah, they really did. Even though this week was full of buyouts, trades, contracts, protection lists, maybe side deals. Like, they've given us a lot here leading up to the expansion draft. All we wanted was a little bit more during our time slot. Is that too much to ask? It's Friday. It's heading into the weekend. We had a, you know four hours before our weekend starts, Scott. And I'm just thinking to myself, let's make the show easy. Let's have some breaking news. React on the fly. NHL GMs, apparently they're too busy on their phones and couldn't help us out. Uh, I give them props for helping us out up until today, but I will put shame on them for today for not doing something for us. Doesn't really matter. Show's over now. We're done. This was an issue four hours ago. Not anymore. Karen, have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy some time away and enjoy watching what might happen over the next day or so in the National Hockey League. You as well. And I hope when we reconvene next week, Vancouver Canucks fans, Calgary Flames fans, you are a happy bunch. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's going to be fun looking at that list over the weekend who's available everybody starts speculating as to what seattle might do certainly we'll get in on that on monday big ups to greg ballack back at mission control despite our feud in this past segment jamie dodd the shohai otani of this program also showed that he can pitch on short rest pitch relief today as well he's not just a starting pitcher he is also a relief pitcher we'll turn things over to the big show in calgary Vic and the boss in Vancouver. It sounds like it's just the boss today, so have fun with mm. that, C-Mac, flying solo. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we will talk on Monday.